welcome to Thinking Philosophy. I'm Deborah Stone, coming to you from Australian Catholic University, where we believe in asking the big questions. When we watch people stockpiling wealth, we sometimes comment, you can't take it with you. While that's literally true, inheritance does allow us to decide what will happen to our money after we die. And if we are rich, that probably means our children can look forward to a substantial windfall. Inheritance is a widespread practice. There are laws about it dating back to the Code of Hammurabi almost 4,000 years ago, to the Napoleonic Code and beyond. For some, it feels like a right, the entitlement to do what they want with their often hard-earned money. But to others, it seems deeply unfair. Certainly, inheritance is morally complex, and it continues to be the subject of changing laws and political controversies. Dr Stuart Braun is a social and political philosopher at the Australian Catholic University who specialises in the areas of distributive justice, the study of how we structure our economy fairly. He's with us on the podcast today to discuss how to navigate the ethical debates around inheritance. Welcome to the podcast, Stuart. Hi, Deborah. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, looking forward to uh, talking about this uh, interesting issue. So why is inheritance such a widespread practice? Well, um, let me just say one thing to kind of uh, uh, define terms. Um, so inheritance, by, by the term inheritance, we can pick up a couple different things. So the, the inheritance is something you receive as a result of being, say, the offspring of a, of a father or mother who's passed away. It's also bequest, which is a, a bequest can be given to anybody. So um, I could, in my will, uh, give my money to my friend. Um, and also, then you, there's other things we need to be aware of as well, such as gratuitous transfers, which are basically gifts or inter vivos giving. Um, and although inheritance is different and bequest is different than inter vivos giving, I think they all are all tied together and they, 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 they bring with them the same issues. So when I talk about inheritance, I'll, you can uh, think of that as uh, kind of folding in with it, the idea of, of bequest and also a little bit uh, inter vivos giving as well. So just to, to qualify terms. Now, why is it such a widespread pa practice? Well, in a way, that's more of a kind of a sociological or, or psychological question, I think. Um, but uh, I do think that, that philosophy can and philosophers have kind of said a few things which can uh, enlighten us on that. And I think really there may be two ways of, of thinking about that. And one is kind of a personal level. Basically, it's the idea that um, persons have projects, plans, family members that they care about and that carry on after their death. And inheritance is a way for them to ensure that those projects and plans are pursued or that their family members are looked after. Um, and so it's a, it's a logical way for them to try and um, ensure that their, their aims that extend past their life are, are, are fulfilled in some way. Um, a slightly more cynical way to look at it um, is to say that really what inheritance is is a legal means to retaining the uh, capitalist relations or uh, the, uh, the structure of, of power that exists in, a, in, a, in, a, in society. Um, so inheritance tends to ensure the, per the perpetuation of a particular class of people, namely those that have a great deal of money and can pass it on. Um, and so um, that's one way of, of understanding inheritance is as a way of, of, of control by those currently in power with wealth. And I think actually when you look at these two, they kind of play together. So you have a legal structure that allows for 
in many countries nowadays, unfortunately, allows for a great deal of inheritance. Um, and that perpetuates that structure, uh, that power structure of that society. And then you also have people at a personal level that just think about it on their own terms. And uh, so it, it, they're willing to accept that legal structure without really reflecting on how it's maybe impacting uh, them and society more broadly. So we're talking about two levels of impact, one of which is emotional, mm-hmm. and it, it relates, I guess, for almost everybody to the way they feel about bettering their children's lives. But there's a much bigger level, which is a societal level, mm-hmm. um, which is what you're looking at, really, when you look at the ethics around inheritance. Yes, exactly. I mean, obviously, there's a personal level, like I've said, and, but there's a, there's a larger social issue that, that inheritance uh, addresses. And as a political philosopher, I'm looking at that at, at larger macro level. Now, of course, what I say will impact uh, personal decisions, but um, uh, I don't think it will impact it in a way that we should be overly concerned about. So your concern is about economic inequality, and economic inequality is a fact of life. So how is inheritance different from the inequality generated for, by, for example, different earning capacities? Yeah, so uh, I'm going to be a bit of an annoying philosopher here, and I'm going to kind of challenge the premises of, of this question a little bit. So um, when you when you say uh, that uh, inequality is a fact of life, I'm actually going to kind of disagree with you there and say that um, what we see is a product of our social design, and the inequality that we see is a product of our social design. So we could design... A society, we could design a legal system, uh, a system of taxation, in which society would be much, much more equal. Um, so the inequality we see is not a natural fact; it's a, it's a result of of, of the way we've structured our society. So I, w- I would first kind of challenge that idea that uh, that um, that there is that inequality is kind of this 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 fact. We can we can change it. We can alter it. Okay, so we can certainly do that. But at the moment, we do have a very unequal society in which, for example, we have very different earning capacities. In looking at inheritance, you're making a distinction between different earning capacities and the morality around inheritance. And I guess that's what I want to ask you about. Yeah, okay, again, so uh, I don't mean to get away from inheritance. Uh, I'll get back to it. But earning capacities themselves are arbitrary from a moral point of view. So um, what I earn is dependent on how society itself is structured, um, right? So if uh, philosophy was as popular as uh, pro basketball, I'd be making a lot more money, right? So it depends on what happens, what's contingently happening in society, depends on how much you're paid. Mm-hmm. And even our natural skills and talents are, are an artifact of luck. And so even though I have the, the intellect and the ability to engage in philosophy, that's simply a genetic, I just, I'm just lucky that way, right? Some would say lucky, some would say maybe unlucky, but I view myself as lucky that way. That doesn't entitle me to a certain level of remuneration or a certain level of wealth. It's all, it's all, uh, contextual. It's all contingent. So earning capacity itself, there's no, there's no claim that certain people deserve a certain amount of money just because they're either they're smart or they're talented or what have you. That's all down to luck and the way society is structured. But that being bracketed, so we can just push that to the side. When we look at inheritance, um, what inheritance, the problem with inheritance is that it's different than labor. So when I get an inheritance, that's totally, completely a matter of luck, a matter of being 
the beneficiary of either a very wealthy friend who gives it to me or a, or a wealthy family who gives it to me. Um, and so uh, that's I, I get that through no effort on my own, at least with labor, all the things about natural talent and work effort aside, at least with labor, I've labored, I've, I've undertook some activity to get that. And so uh, one of the problems with inheritance is there's, there's absolutely no claim of dessert that can be attached to it at all, um, as opposed to labor, where at least you have the time and effort you put in to make your claim on, on what you've earned. So that's in terms of the right to the money. There's also a question of the effect of the money. Does inheritance have a particular effect on our society? Yeah, so it's it has a it has a huge and growing impact on society. I think so. One thing we need to be aware of is kind of the background uh, around wealth inequality. So currently, when you look at Australia, uh, approximately ten percent of the population, the wealthiest ten percent of the population they own approximately 50% of Australia's total wealth. While, at, while the, the, uh, the bottom 40% own only 2% of the wealth. So we have these, this huge level of wealth inequality. Now, what inheritance does is it locks that in. And especially in Australia, it locks that in because Australia has no inheritance tax. No tax on it. There's no state tax on it. There's no federal tax on it. You can give as much as you want free from taxation. So what it does is it locks in this level of inequality. So this means that from generation to generation, we have uh, maintained and even increased economic inequality through inheritance. Yes. And with wealth inequality increasing in Australia, you're going to see, you're going to see inheritance increasing in importance in terms of uh, the role it plays in people's wealth. So if you recall, there's a very uh, well-known book by Thomas Piketty called Capital in the 20, 21st century, 20th century, sorry. And uh, he looked at how uh, inheritance flows were going to, 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 to go in the future. And he, and when you read his book, you see that he says that inheritance is going to play an increasingly important role in people's wealth. And so what this means practically is those people that inherit the top ladder of our wealth distribution are all going to be people that inherited their wealth. And that brings us back to the France of the uh, 1800s, 1820s. That's not a particularly favorable comparison, I think. I don't think we want to be in that type of society which is heavily unequal and which people's opportunities and pathways in life was determined by whether they could get an inheritance or not. So we're almost looking at a pre-enlightenment structure in which we've got growing and extreme economic inequality, which is increasing exponentially and locking people in to the life choices they have. Mm -hmm. I think so. I wouldn't say pre-enlightenment. I, I think it's uh, we're going back to the past. Um, and unless we take some steps to try and, and uh, correct for that, we're going to find ourselves, I think, in a place where we don't necessarily want to be, especially if we value equality and, and, a, and, a, and a, a vibrant democratic uh, culture. Okay, so we, before we talk about the steps we can take, let's continue on that line about the effects of inequality and our democratic culture. Traditional mm -hmm. thinking around liberal democracy has tended to assume that if we give people civil and political rights, they can access those rights, whatever their economic situation. Do we need to reconceptualize political freedoms to take in an economic dimension? 
Yes, absolutely. So um, I think this is something that Marx definitely got right when he said that liberal rights and freedoms can function as a facade. So we have formal rights such as voting, freedom of speech, um, freedom to join a political party, and all those can be helpful. But when you have severe levels of wealth inequality, then those become purely formal, meaning they don't really work. They're not substantive. They don't do the job they're supposed to. And so those rights become empty in a way, right? What happens when you have severe wealth inequality that is perpetuated by inheritance is you have the wealthy able to capture uh, government to control government, either through lobbying, either through determining which candidate, candidates get put up. Um, even, as we see in the United States, uh, running for office themselves and, um, and uh, um, in some cases winning. So Donald Trump himself is a product of inheritance. He likes to, to pretend that he's not, but he, he inherited millions of dollars. Um, so those are some of the problems we see with, uh, with inheritance. Um, so it's a, it's, a, it's, a real, it's a real danger to a, a democratic society when you have these levels of wealth inequality and you have a means of retaining them and, you, and you're not trying to pull them back. So this idea that you can be born in a log cabin and rise up through your own hard work and um, smarts um, is just not something you accept? No, I, I, do, I do accept that people can work hard and, and make money and, 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 and rise up. Uh, I do think that, that people need help along the way. Um, so I'm, I'm not disputing that. My concern is that with inheritance increasing, with wealth inequality increasing, it's going to be ever, it's going to be more difficult for people to do that. They'll be blocked out of that. So um, I'm going to borrow a term from a from a friend of mine who's actually just published a book on inheritance, Dan Halliday at, at uh, University of Melbourne, and he's talked about the idea of economic segregation, and what happens when you have these levels of wealth inequality and you have inheritance that um, that locks them in, um, you get economic segregation where you have those at the top able to segregate themselves, able to capture and hold on to the most valuable opportunities and leave the rest of the population struggling to, to, to advance themselves. So I'm certainly not against people working hard and, and rising up the economic ladder and, 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 and doing well for themselves. That's, that's not my argument. I'm not arguing that, it's, that, that people aren't in some degree responsible for uh, some of the wealth they've accumulated, but um, they can't do that when we have a lot of wealth inequality and we allow inheritance to go unchecked. So given that, and given your conviction that extreme economic inequality is so problematic for our freedoms, do you think we should just ban inheritance? No, because there's nothing intrinsically wrong with inheritance or gift. I mean, inheritance is basically just a form of a gift, right? And there's nothing wrong with giving people gifts. In fact, that's it's often uh, laudatory, right? The problem with inheritance is, as I said, that it, that it causes and it sustains, perpetuates uh, wealth inequality, which itself, as I've already talked about, is damaging to the fabric of society. So taxing inheritance is a way to allow people to still give a gift, right, but not have it negatively impact the way society functions. Or not have it negatively impact as much. That's right, yeah. So then it becomes a question of degree. Mm. Yeah, and as a philosopher, I don't get into the nitty-gritty of policy. Uh, but I can tell you, as Australia doesn't have an inheritance tax, it needs one. In America, you have an exemption per individual of $11.4 million. 
uh, that's way too high. Um, so you need a, a robust tax that's effective in capturing some of that wealth. So you would allow people to um, pass on some wealth, but not the very high degrees of wealth that are currently being passed on. Yeah. I, I, look, I think inheritance plays some important roles. Like, So you might have a family heirloom that's been passed down through generations. You should be able to pass that on, right? Uh, I'm not against that. Uh, and, and I think inheritance plays an important role in those scenarios. But it has to be limited. Otherwise, it just leads to an increase in wealth inequality, and it leads to a society that's divided. Um, just re return back to the, the Piketty book. Uh, one of the things that Piketty says is he says that, look, if we don't rein in wealth inequality and we don't rein in, ta we don't rein in inheritance, we're going to end up as a rentier society where all the, the wealthy individuals are the ones that just live off the wealth they've gotten through inheritance. And that is tr totally contrary, I think, to the ethos that, 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 that kind of has motivated Australia in the past and, and the U.S. as well. So we become a society of trust fund kids. Well, trust funds kids at the top mm. and everybody else unable to ever compete with that. Yeah, I think you're, you're potentially headed down that path. Mm. Right. So is taxation just a compromise solution for something that is inherently problematic with inheritance? No, no, because I don't, I, like I said, I don't think there's something wrong with, uh, in it. there's nothing intrinsically wrong with inheritance. What's wrong with inheritance is the, it's, it's, its effects, right? So you can allow uh, inheritance and taxation is a way to allow it while removing those, those, negative, those negative impacts. You've pointed out that Australia doesn't have an inheritance tax. The US has one, but it has a very high threshold indeed. Inheritance taxes have actually been declining in popularity in recent years in many countries. Given the resulting economic inequality, why do you think that is the trend? I don't know why that's the trend. Um, I have my, my kind of pet theories. Uh, one theory is that we've allowed wealth to start to control the political process already. Um, and so people buy into the narrative that's out there, uh, that's given to them, um, that's paid for by those that can control the political process. And so inheritance is not something that comes up very often. And if it does, it's kind of swiped down pretty quickly. Um, and I think that's because you have vested interests that are very, uh, very concerned about uh, protecting the ability to give uh, away their wealth uh, in a way that's unaffected or, or untaxed. And so I think there's, a, there's an element of it just it, it doesn't come up in, uh, in policy that often. And when it does, you have very, very wealthy people who can argue against it. I mean, it's interesting because I, I believe uh, Labor was talking about some inheritance taxes more in the most recent election, and that didn't go, wasn't very popular. Um, I, I'm not sure exactly why. I, don't, I think there's a lot of misinformation out there, and I think people are unaware of uh, the role that inheritance is playing and can play in perpetuating this, this wealth inequality. I think if they knew how it could help to lock in the levels of, wealth, of extreme wealth inequality, they might start to change their mind. Most people are not going to inherit millions of dollars. Um, so um, it wouldn't be a, a, a big harm to them to have uh, taxation. 
there seems to be a, a sort of a gut reaction in favour of inheritance, even among people who are disadvantaged by it. Mm. Yeah, and again, it's a, it's this kind of a sociological question that I, I I don't know what's motivating people's psychology in this. Um, I do know that um, they tend, just from some conversations, they tend to think that uh, they're going to get rich off of inheritance. And unfortunately, with the stratification of wealth inequality, it's not going to be, the, in, in the large, large, large majority of cases, it's not going to be true. Um, so uh, a, a tax on inheritance where the, the, the wealth is captured uh, is properly redistributed to educational opportunities, to um, um, other uh, public services and things like that would actually benefit them more than uh, allowing it to go on untaxed. It almost seems that people want inheritance, um, free inheritance, so that they have a right to dream of something that isn't going to happen but is a kind of a fantasy for them, that they will get this windfall and it will change their lives. Yeah, um, that's true, and I, I, I don't dispute that. Um, but that's not, a, that's not a good way to go about thinking about policy and and. and, and and, and making your choices around uh, who you vote for. Um, you need to think about how the policies and, and the, are going to impact the society and, and think about also how the society is going um, and what type of future you want for the society. Do you think that if uh, people had more of an understanding of the relationship between philosophy and policy, that will perhaps help them to understand how issues of distributive justice are affecting their lives? Yeah, so I, I think it, it's, it's, I mean, philosophers are in, engaged in, at least in political and social philosophy, are engaged in a normative project of saying, how should society be structured? And we can take what we see and we can say, well, this doesn't look like it's just or fair, and how would we change it? And so I wish, and I, I do think people kind of think about this, but um, they're not as, uh, uh, they just haven't uh, maybe um, had the time uh, to think as deeply about some of these things as people that, 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 uh, that get paid to sit in an office and think about them. So it's not their fault. They're busy with their lives. They have lots of responsibilities that they have to take care of. Um, so uh, it's unfortunate. Um, and I think we could arrange a society such that they had more free time um, and they would be able to think and engage in these political issues more, more thoroughly. Um, but it's something we've we've chosen not to do, right? Um, we've structured a society such that um, we have to continue to work to stay in kind of the same place all the time. So we are now in a situation where distributive justice really isn't a part of the conversation in in many ways. Um, we are, I guess, accepting a degree of inequality and perhaps this is also a result of the failure of various experimental political systems. What do we need to do to change that conversation? Oh, I, that's, a, that's, a, I mean, that's, a, that's a difficult question and, and one that, again, stands a little bit outside my remit as a philosopher um, because it relates to all sorts of things around um, uh, education and, uh, and, and people's um, individual psychological background and things like that. Um, but I do think that philosophy could, philosophy and even kind of the, 
the broader based humanities could play a really important role in uh, getting people to realize how to think critically about issues, how to reflect on them, how to engage with one another around issues where there might be some disagreement, um, have the historical context to relate these issues to, have the philosophical uh, knowledge to uh, s recognize a good from a bad argument. Um, I think that philosophy and the broader humanities can play an important role in, in, in educating the populace to be able to, to assess these arguments, to think, uh, to think about them and to make decisions. But unfortunately, uh, the humanities have been, um, have been uh, I, should, I was going to say demonized, that's not true. They've been minimized or uh, neglected is probably the better word. They've been neglected. And so I think we start to see the fruits of that in our public discourse. Uh, we have people that, 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 that are incapable of, of, of constructive dialogue. And some of these people lead our countries. And, uh, and then we have people that just follow that blindly. And philosophy, which turns a critical eye to everything, can prevent that. And so um, I think philosophy can play a role in educating people to um, address some of these problems. That gets us a little bit away from, from inheritance, I know. But it is possible that if people had an understanding of how philosophy could affect their hip pockets, they might be a little bit more interested in it. Yeah, sure. Uh, absolutely. So if they could, if people take philosophy and they learn to critically think a little bit better and to assess arguments better, then they'll, they'll understand how things, uh, how uh, policies and decisions do impact them. Um, so, so absolutely, that's, that's true. Um, they just need to have the, the, the critical thinking skills and, and the time as well to, to, to think about these issues. And somewhat ironically, that time comes with wealth. Absolutely, yep. So uh, if you have a more equal society, you won't have people working two jobs. You won't, uh, you'll have uh, people that can, uh, can take some time to engage in the political process. So one of the things that inequality uh, can produce is a situation in which um, those who are most disadvantaged are least able to um, observe their own disadvantage and act to do something about it. Yes, absolutely. So I mean, there's an interesting there's an interesting study by a couple of economists, um, and they look at the Gastel index, which is a measure of freedoms that a country has. Um, and that's an imperfect index, but it gives us a kind of a broad snapshot of, of how free a, a country is, what it, how well it does at protecting rights and liberties. And what they've observed in their study is that the more unequal society is, the less respect you're gonna, that that society, the less respect that society is going to have for uh, rights and freedoms. And so, um, when you increase inequality, it looks like you're going to end up damaging fundamental rights and freedoms. And so. Um, by allowing inequality to increase the fundamental rights and freedoms of those in the poor sections of the population become worthless. This is something also that John Rawls, a, a famous uh, political philosopher, has talked about. He's talked about the, 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 uh, the fair value of the political liberties. And he says that um, when wealth inequality gets out of hand, uh, the value of those political liberties diminishes. People can't impact the democratic uh, they can't impact the government. They can't use their voice to uh, impact the, 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 the dialogue going on in the country. And uh, 
in a way, again, this goes back to what I've said earlier, they're, they're, those rights and freedoms become merely formal. Um, so it's, um, wealth inequality is, is, a, is a huge problem in that, in that regard. And it's especially to those that, that are going to lack the wealth, as you said, those that are, that are impoverished or on the lower rungs of the economic ladder. And perhaps understanding this goes some way to understanding the political situation we are in now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think there's, there's, a, there's, in a way, I've thought about this a little bit. It seems like there's a, there's a potential downward spiral, right? So um, the more unequal the society is, the less people realize, the less people can impact the way the society moves or the way it's going forward or the changes directory, uh, trajectory rather. Um, So when they can't change that trajectory, they become less interested in doing so. And then they check out of it. And then it just becomes easier for those with wealth and power to continue to control it. And we get, it becomes very hard to course correct. And so um, I think that's a real danger. Well, that's certainly a, a dystopian vision and certainly a concerning vision as to where we are now. Dr. Stuart Braun, thank you so much for joining us on Thinking Philosophy, a podcast of the Australian Catholic University. Thanks too to Trey Karunat Rathna and Amiel Matthews, one of two of our talented media production people at ACU, for their work on the show. If you've enjoyed the podcast, don't forget to share and rate it on your podcast provider so other people can enjoy it too. I'm Deborah Stone, and you've been listening to Thinking Philosophy.